Hit it, Watt. Yeah. I love this song. It's always the intro. It gets me pumped up. Yeah, here we go. Welcome, Tales from the Gemini. How you guys doing? It's BT. And occasionally, I go back to my roots. Because, you know, I, I love having everybody on the show, my, my guests. I love them. Everybody has a great story to tell. I love getting that story out. And I love the, the feedback you guys give me. Thank you so much. And the comments about how somebody's going through what they go through. And they give me the, the comments, hey, man, it helped me through. Like the last one we did with Maddie uh, Scordia. Man, that is getting a lot of traction. And thank you guys for the comments on that. I don't know if you know about it. She went, the woman was burned over 60% of her body, 65%. And she was, she had, she was a model, she had model good looks, 60% of her body. And you wouldn't know it by just talking to her. She still has that effervescence about her. And, and, and that story resonated with so many people. They did me and told me how that got them through something or they were going through something. So thank you guys for the comments. Thank you for the DMs. I appreciate that. But right now, what I like doing is going back to my roots and that's comedy, man. And I love comedian stories. I just connect with comedians because that's what we do at the end of the motherfucking day. You know, I like to laugh and laugh at the, the, the serious stuff because only comedians understand comedians. And my guest today is the man. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. He started out as a cop. As a cop. He was in the Marines, and now they're telling jokes, slaying it on his... He got two podcasts, Guns of Blazing podcast with my boy Sean Latham, and a 1041 podcast, which is about uh, crime, finding, uh, solving cases in crime. My guest, Mr. Todd McComas. Yeah, that's Todd McComas, kids. What's Keep it going up, for Todd McComas. Kids, give me... Hey, run the applause, kids. Don't just point. Hey. Give me, there you go. Show them the love. Show them respect. Show them respect. Bring back some beers. <laughs> you do day drink. If you know Todd <laughs> McComas. Todd, tell the people hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on this, by the way. No, let I me take some. bad. I was like, God, am I ever going to get invited on here? No, You know, I had to wait for the right time. Right. And I mean it for the bottom mark, because let me tell you something, man. I didn't want to go there now, but when last year at this time when COVID was striking hard, everything was shut down. In a way, I kind of liked it because I could park up front. Seriously, mm-hmm. I parked right here when COVID first hit, and this was like a ghost town, bro. But I was parking up front. I was like, this is kind cool so i mean so but when i was going through it i wasn't making no money and i was like down and these guys and todd had me on his podcast about two or three times and they took care of me and i was like god damn. and that shit touched the fuck out of me and i was like i'm I, I was gonna have you on this when i got it up and running when i knew i was kind of what i was doing nice. so i wasn't gonna dish you on that man you're my boy and so and and me and this guy have gone through everything together we've gone through we literally gone through hurricanes together <laughs> drove, we, we, were, we were in virginia beach virginia oh my God. And there, and we were going to fly out. We, it was uh, me, Todd, and uh, Mike Malone, and yeah. we were doing comedy at the Virginia Beach Funny Bone. A goddamn hurricane comes through, and so they canceled all the flights. We rented a car and drove back, and as we're leaving Virginia <laughs> Beach, we're on a bridge, and the ocean is literally covering. Remember, it was coming up. Yes. There was, like, no gap between the bottom of the bridge and the ocean. Yeah. And on the way in, you look down. Like, it's enough. Like, I'm scared of heights. I don't like going over tall bridges. <laughs> yes. So I'm like, it was one of those bridges. On the way back, I'm like, I'm also scared of drowning. So this is, <laughs> and you can swim because you're yeah, white. Yeah. So, <laughs> so and you, it's nothing to you. Me, I'm the one like, oh shit, water and night, they'll never find me. <laughs> but yeah, no, but we went over that. I remember that, man. That was, and when you go through some shit like that, you bond. And I just remember, man. The, more, more, the thing I remember the most were the stories. I don't know how long that trip was. I would have pulled my, I would have pulled whatever hair I had out. 
But the fact that we're all three together and Malone, eh, but man, me and you, <laughs> Malone's on his own shit. He ain't gonna listen. Malone, he always, Malone does Malone. But I just remember us just bonding over the stories, man. It just, it was two dudes just broing it up, but not being bros, just saying matter of fact stories. And I just remember the story. And we're gonna get to the beginning, the genesis of your life. But I just remember you telling the story how you're at a bar and you get. In this fight with these guys, and you got your ass kicked. Please tell the people that story, please. I will. This was one of those. I mean, there's there's a point in time as you get older, and you're a, you're a man, and you got to come to terms with that. Like, and it, it you never know when that moment's going to be, but you recognize it immediately when it happens. So. Love the story. I love this it. This all started with my buddy Mike Wheatley. Um, God love his mom had, had died in a vehicle crash, right? Okay. So the, he had been planning the funeral and all this stuff. And this one day he reaches out to all of us, all the guys from high school, right? And yeah. he's like, guys, I need a night out. Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, I'm tired of this stuff. I just need to go laugh and yeah. have a good time. So we're like, we're here for you, buddy. We grab up and we we go get some food and some some drinks and and then you know more drinks and then more pictures and then by that time we're like uh, one of my friends goes um, let's go to the Kitley Inn which is a little bar in Indianapolis <laughs> and here's what kind of bar it is immediately when he said it like half of us are like no we're not getting in a fight tonight like it's that kind of bar right <laughs> so he's like no man I'm the mayor of the Kitley that's my place he's like we're safe there. <laughs> So we keep drinking, and then he convinces us all to go there. So we get there. We're having a good time. We do it a bunch of shots. You know, we haven't been together in a group in a long time, so the drinks are flowing. And at one point, I turn around, and I see my buddy Mike nose-to-nose with this big-ass Hawaiian dude. And... I'm like, oh, here we go. So I go over there, and I'm like, hey, man, let's break it up. Let's break it up. You know, this guy, he's, he's had a bad week. You know, don't worry about it. Whatever he said, we're sorry. Here, we'll buy you a drink. And that guy's like, nope, I'm getting a piece of somebody's ass right now. And he's like, if he ain't doing it, somebody else better step up. We're going outside right now to settle this. So I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. So I look over at my buddy, Ronnie, who's gigantic he's our biggest friend right and he's a firefighter then i look over and i go ronnie come here for a minute and uh, so ronnie walks over and he dwarfs this dude and i go listen man i know you're enjoying your drink but if you could just take a couple minutes this guy wants to fight one of us so will you go outside and just fight him real quick and then come back in and then this guy's like well i ain't got no beef with you so he walks away and then ronnie goes what are you doing motherfucker and i'm like what and he goes I just had shoulder surgery. He's <laughs> like, I, my, I just got out of this. I'm not even supposed to be out of the sling. I just did it before we go out. He's like, I can't fight nobody. And I'm like, well, I didn't know that. I ain't seen you in two years. <laughs> so, so then we're just, we start to have a good time. Next thing I know, I hear a commotion. Chairs being turned over, whatever. It's on. There's a fight. My friends are in a fight with a couple dudes over there. And what we didn't know was that the rest of the bar outside of like the seven of us, yeah. We're all there together. They were a tribe, and there's like twenty of them. Were they and, all Hawaiians? No, no, just that one dude. Uh. But he was he was the leader for sure. So he he rallies all his boys, and next thing I know, we're fucking surrounded. I mean, and I am like, 
Hey, we have this other huge giant friend who's an attorney. By the way, we all have like regular peaceful jobs. <laughs> I'm a cop at the time. Like, what? One's a lawyer, one's a fireman. I'm like, what are we doing fighting in this bar? But we all used to fight. We just grew up fighting. <laughs> and that, when we were together in the group, that mentality kicked back in, you know, with all the drinks. So we're like, all right, let's kick some ass. Let's yeah. do it like the old days. And next thing I know, I see out of the corner of my eye a stool coming at me. And this dude swings it, and thankfully it hit the ceiling fan. I find this out afterward. And rips the ceiling fan down, just hanging from the wiring, before it hits me in the head. Like, probably the only thing that kept me from getting killed, right? So he hits me with this stool. I'm out. I'm out cold. When I wake up, there are, like, four guys holding me against down in this booth. And I'm trying to get back up, and every time I do, they pull me back by my shirt, and it's just steadily ripping. So I remember I was like trying to help rip my shirt so I could get loose. And every time I, they would pull me back in, like three guys would just walk by and be like, tag, 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 and punch me in the face. So I can't even move my arms. We're like, I'm getting killed. We're all, we're all getting killed. So we get, we get done. And finally, you get done. My buddy, bro- how does this get just get done? Like it's a pizza. And once we get done, well, like it's a pizza party. And once we get done, who says that after a fight? Well, I, I think what happened was they just got tired of punching us. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they had punched themselves once, out. Once we- and we were just mean enough to not stop, not give up. So finally, there was just like a quiet standoff. Where everybody's looking at each other, you know. And uh, my buddy Ronnie, like the biggest, baddest one of all of us, he uh, he's like, all right, let's go. It's done. Let's get outside. And that Hawaiian dude pops off at me and like he's like close enough. He's spitting in my face as we're trying to walk outside. So I'm like, nope, screw this. I got to throw a punch. So I throw a punch. It's back on for the next 10 minutes. And Ronnie's cussing at me. Like, God damn, I'm a comus. It was all over. So we're getting our asses kicked again. It comes to another quiet, like, face-off moment, and we're like, everybody's done, right? And they yell from behind the bar, we called the cops. So this ends it. We're like, oh, we get the fuck out of here. So I get up, and I'm walking, trying to collect all my boys, Ronnie and I, to get outside. And then I look at my buddy, Brett. Brett, definitely probably the best fighter of all of us, and he's a big boy. And he is flat on the ground on his stomach. And uh, I help him up. I, I reach out my hand, and I'm helping pull him up, and he goes, How'd you do? And I was like, look at my face, dude. Like, I didn't even get a punch off. And I pulled him up. I'm like, how'd you do? And he goes, I tripped over that stool at the very beginning. I'm just now getting up. <laughs> he fell down. It was so drunk. He spent the whole fight trying to get off that stool. <laughs> I just like, once we were done, like, who says that during a fight? And it was the quietest ride home, dude. Oh. Like, we're all in this giant Yukon, I think my buddy had, the firefighter. And we're, we go to my buddy Mike's house. And we, we pull in. We get in his basement so we don't wake his wife and kids up. And we're all, like, 40 at the time, probably. <laughs> And we pull in, and not a single word is spoken on the tire way home. We're just like kids just got in trouble, you know, with our heads down. We're all ashamed. And uh, we go, it's still quiet. We sit down all on the couches and chairs in the, in the basement. We're just sitting there, and, uh, and I just look up, and I go, we're just rusty. <laughs> we're just rusty. <laughs> and they all started laughing finally. And then we were bloody like. The firefighter friend had to, my head was gaping open. By the way, he super glues it shut. 
super glued it, and he's drunk. Like he's super drunk. Isn't he like, a firefighter? Yeah, yeah. So he's got this. He's super glued. He's a firefighter. Yeah. He's got a kit, but he's super. Was it gorilla glue? <laughs> I think it was just super glue. Was it Elmer? So he could. <laughs> when it dries, it was about the size of a I don't know, twice the size of a half dollar, and. um I got to go to work for the next week. And it's, he did such a bad job. It's almost like down on my eyebrow and the blood had clotted under it. So it looked like a giant scab that I couldn't get off my forehead. And I got to go be an undercover cop. (laughs) So I just wore a hat and just pulled it down real low the whole time. I thought, if it comes off, I got a good story to tell while I'm trying to buy drugs from this guy. (laughs) Man. I remember you telling me that story, and that shit hurt my stomach just like it did now. Because it's that, like you said, it's that quiet, like, like you said, we're just rusty. <laughs> like, you don't, as a man, you don't want to admit it. Yeah. That it's any, you hold on to that shit as long mm. as long. Like, I bought a dirt bike last week. Oh, a dirt, dirt bike, bike. I, and I'm and I'm still buying the shit. So when I do fall, when I do fall, I, I'm gonna be I like not if I when I do fall, I'll be okay. Like you know, I got both hips replaced, so I got I got a little uh, thing for my hips, so with the, with the padding on the back, uh-huh. and so I got that, and then I'm gonna get my dirt bike pants and everything, and I'm gonna get all, I'm gonna get all the gear. I'm gonna be like I'm like uh, I'm gonna be like the, what do you call those things? Uh, the the transformers. I'm gonna get all the <laughs> shit here. I'm gonna be ready to go. I got I bought a dirt bike. I should be investing, trying to learn you know stocks and everything. But what am I, what am I spending my money? On? fucking dirt because I bought a fucking dirt you bike off a teenager. Some, you should be buying some Dogecoin or something. I should, buy, like, I should oh, no, be. I'll get, a, I'll, get a, I'll get a dirt bike. But I bought... Now let's, here, you gotta understand the transaction. I'm in Lafayette at a Meyer parking lot buying a dirt bike from a teenager when it should be the exact opposite. <laughs> it should be... But I'm buying a dirt bike from a fucking teenager you're who's like, still in high school. You're like, why are you selling it? Oh, my dad grounded me. No. I can't ride it anymore. Well, he couldn't sell it until his dad got off work because I hit him up on, <laughs> I hit him on Facebook. I go, hey, man, can I buy it? And I go, yeah, I can wait till my dad gets off work and then we can do it. But he said it's okay. So it should be the exact opposite. But as a man, you just want to hold on to that shit as long as fucking possible. Isn't it? I mean, maybe it's just me, but I just like, no, I'm not letting go to this. I mean, I don't know yeah, what it is. It, it, it's so hard to let go because even though like I turned 50 in like a week. Happy birthday, yeah. bro. Me too, man. Me too. And I'm like. I still feel like 25. I don't know how, why. Am I, is my brain? I mean, other than like that one moment, I'm like, all right, fighting's done. Being rusty. No more fighting. Other than being yeah. rusty. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, a couple of weeks in the gym, you'd be good. Right. But I don't feel any different. Like when I go to the bars and stuff now, I'm like, why are the women not looking at me? <laughs> you know? like, do they not just you, see me coming? See, now I feel better, Wyatt. They always call me a creeper. But it's like, <laughs> you know what it is, honestly? And I mean, it's about, it's like, it, it, mentally, we still think we're, we're uh, mentally, we'll still think we're maybe, maybe four or five years older than mentally. Right. Until we see ourselves in the mirror, like, damn, no wonder that young bitch was scared of me. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. she sees all the fucking crow's feet and, and that, like, yeah, that's a man, man. You yeah. know what I mean? She's yeah. talking to dudes like, so, like, did you go see the 21 Pilots concert? Like, yeah, fuck yeah. They're fucking, yeah. And you're like, so anyway, I was uh, talking to my friends and we were in a bar fight. And, oh my God, how old are you? You know what I mean? What's, what's wrong with your walk? <laughs> It's, it's called age, bitch. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. It's like you just I mean, I should grow up. It's like that don't look like fun. I know. Well, I think once you there's like a fine line there. Like, okay, maybe recognize when needed that I'm 50, but then also I don't want to act my age cuz as soon like as soon as you do that, 
I think you just start that downward slope. And you and you put a sweater on. Yeah. And then dockers. Oh, I'm going to wear my socks with sandals. Uh, penny loafers. Oh, I'm going to get a, a cell phone holster. <laughs> for my like, then life's over. And then you, go, then you go to your son. What could you possibly talking to somebody for that long for on the phone? Remember like, <laughs> remember when your parents do that shit? When back in, uh, my, my, my producer here is 20, right? So he doesn't know about the days when you're on the landline uh-huh. and you're on the phone for a while and your parent goes, what could you possibly... Possibly talking to somebody for that long for when you talking to a girl, <laughs> right, you know right, what I mean? Right. And you at long silence, you're both watching the same TV show. That was good, huh? And there's, a, you know what I mean? And you feel like you're connected to her, but you're not. I mean, the fact that we want to give that up and turn into what our parents are, it's like that's the, you know, you, you hold on like ah, it's like giving up. I, I mean, that's the way I view yeah, it. it's like and, giving up. And I'll be around friends that I that I grew up with. And they have settled into 50. And man, I'm like, God, we are two different animals. We're like yes. two different species almost. Yeah, and they're looking forward to their kids graduating high school. Or, or some of them, some of them had already graduated. So they're like, yeah, man, me, me and Becky are going to go on vacation. And we might go to Europe. And you're going, yes. I've been to Europe like four or five times. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> and it's like... Yeah, it's like you are like you feel different. Like I, I, I lucky uh, a couple months ago, I did a show back home in Oklahoma, and my classmates came out, and it was good seeing them. Some of them, like I was like, "Whoa, I am not your life," you know what I mean? <laughs> and there was one girl who came in to see me, and I was like, "I would give up everything to be your house husband." I mean, <laughs> you know me, I don't even want to get married, but man, she looks so good. I was like, "I want to, uh, yeah, I would give it all up. Yeah. I would risk it all. I would, I would, I would walk off this show right now if she called me right now." <laughs> said, PT, I think I want to do it. I go, hold on, Wyatt, I'm done. And I'd walk out. I really would. That's how much I loved her back in high school. I loved her so much in high school that I didn't even try to go out with her because I knew what the answer would be. Oh, yeah. Her dad, her, one of those. her dad's a senator. Like, her dad works for, he's in the government, 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 government. Like, they flew down from D.C. to see my show, uh, literally. Uh, and I was just like, Mary, I love you, man. I mean, we took a picture. It was all I could do to keep going. I love you, man. I mean, I said shit that always creeps girls out because I remember everything they were wearing and what happened. Like the other other girl that I kind of had a crush on, I swear to God, she she came to see my show and I was talking. Go, yeah, the last time I remember seeing you was when I was in state when I, for wrestling. I was in state for wrestling and you came to see me because I was wrestling Todd, your old boyfriend, and you had that jean skirt on with that orange top. Remember? And you and, she, and man, the look of horror in her eyes. She was like, Oh my! I mean, oh, yeah, Jesus. that was back in nineteen eighty. Six. How many times has this guy jerked <laughs> off to me? <laughs> I mean, I never did that, but still, I was like, oh, she, I mean, yeah, there was only two girls I really had a crush on high school, but yeah, so I know, man, you don't want to let that shit go, bro. It's just like, yeah, I'm with you, man. It's like, but let me tell you something. Little by little by little, man. I mean, because I'm older than you. I'll, I'll be three years older than you uh, next, uh, next Tuesday. Yeah, so little by little, it, I mean, it it, it, like it's, it's where people go well how do you feel Todd you know being 50 oh man I feel the same it only hits you like it's not like you're 50 boom oh my god I feel weird six months in then you're like wow that, yeah I don't know what that's about you know and then mm-hmm. seven months in like well I don't know why am I so tired at nine o'clock you know what I mean right and then and yeah so little by little you can I mean trust me I'm taking all this medication man if I can get a hold of some HGH dude, dude to me I tell people all the time I don't give a fuck about drug drugs like marijuana I, I never want none of that shit but man if somebody after a show would offer me some HGH or steroids I gotta get you over to the low T center why are you not wh- at the where? low T center how, how much how much it's 250 $50 a month. Oh, I'm going. $250 a month, dude. And you get a shot once a week in your ass. They oh, regulate your levels. Yes. Real doctors like to make sure you know, none of the negative side effects come in. If they start to do, they just tweak. 
It's 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 so safe. They do this everywhere in Europe. Like this is commonplace for. I don't people even our care if they're Europe. regulated. I don't care if the doctor's name is Raul <laughs> Fernandez, and he's like, "Are you over here uh, legally?" See, si. you know, I don't care. Mm. You know, just shoot me up. I, as long as this looks good, I just want to keep this looking good. Hey, I don't know if it's helping me look any better. I mean, I think it no, does you look great. because you, look great. you can put on muscle a lot easier. Kind of like when you were in your thirties. That's what it makes you feel like is, oh, I'm in my mid-30s. Your energy level's higher. Yes. Um, you don't get tired come 9 o'clock like you used to. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you can work out just a little bit and maintain. Uh, let's be honest. You can talk to a 20-year-old girl in the bar and don't feel guilty. <laughs> that's, what we're, that's what we're going for. You can go to a bar and talk to a girl That's what 20. I want to say when they ignore me. I'll be like, it's okay. I'm on testosterone replacement therapy. <laughs> I'm not as old as you think I am, or that my birth certificate says. <laughs> I'm a man. I'm 40. <laughs> well, you know what? I want to take people on your journey, man. Let's take this. Let's go back in time. So you, you first wore a Marine. And you know, where'd you grow up? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Shelbyville, Indiana. Okay. Area. So Shelby County, about 30 minutes southeast of Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. Where, from, you, where are you from? Oh, he's from Shelbyville. That's yeah. right. I think he told me it last time. Yeah, why? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Why, why, why it's been around. I mean, he knows what mess about. So, yeah. um. <laughs> it's what he knows what mess about, but he doesn't know Pearl Jam. Oh, really? He doesn't know who Pearl Jam is. Oh, man. Is he not a disgrace? Bad. Yeah, so bad. That Pearl Jam. I mean, you understand, that has affected me like you wouldn't believe. Like, I'll tell you, what's this? I go, it's Pearl Jam. Why? And he's like, oh. And I was so mad at him. I'm still mad at him for that shit. But yeah. Pearl Jam was a revolution, man. Dude, they changed everything in music, and you don't even know, bro. That was when MTV played what we call music videos. You don't even know about that, do you? What? Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, so you grew up in Shelbyville. Yeah, it's out in the country. You know, actually, I lived in Fair, grew up in Fairland, which mm-hmm. is like a town of like 400 people or something. Wow. So Shelbyville was our big town like, to go to. <laughs> That's where you went to go get groceries and shit. <laughs> so we had was Mr. T's Mini Mart that would let me walk there at seven years old and buy cartons of cigarettes for my dad. <laughs> Those were the days. Oh my God. You're a seven year old man of Marlboro. (laughs) My dad just gives me a $20 bill. Go get me three cartons of cigarettes. Okay. And nobody said shit. Ride down on my little bike. Isn't that the greatest? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some things. I I think the past is sometimes we we hype it up more than it was. Like, ah, it was so much better back then. Not really. But there's some things that you look back on and you go, you know what? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's one of them. You know, they didn't card. They, if you were nice to the old guy at the store or whatever, they didn't give a shit. No. What? No, not at all. I mean, if you got caught stealing a candy bar or something, like they knew it. Yeah. And they would let you get home with it and wait till you came back the next time and then be like, hey, come here for a minute. Let's sit down and have a talk. Yeah. I mean, how great is that, though? Yes. Just straighten you out like mm-hmm. that. I remember having this, uh, there's a, a barbershop, whatever, across town from us. And I was like, I'll still ride my bike. So I must have been 14, 15. And this dude had like dirty magazines, like, you know, Playboys, whatever. And uh, I go over there and he goes, yeah, you have one of those. He goes, you're 18, right? Yeah. And he goes, all right. And like, I keep on waiting. I go back home and I'll put it in my, my boot, like in my stuff in here. And as soon as I get home, I think my mom was there. And I go home and I put it between my album covers. I had like five albums, but they were like this far apart. Because <laughs> I put dirty magazines in the album cover sleeves. So they're about this far apart. And the dude was the coolest. He was an old dude. And he goes, you're 18, right? 
Yeah. I was like 14 if I was a day. Nice. And yeah. So it was just those times. And nobody got hurt. I mean, no. he knew what was going through. I was a kid in puberty and, you know, I'm talking too fast. I'm spitting on girls as I talk. So I wasn't getting laid anytime no. soon. You know what I mean? I mean, it was, there was such a fine line, too, between just like Hustler and, and oh, Penthouse. Hustler to, scared me. <laughs> to to, the, to uh, Playboy. Like, it, it was like Playboy's like, oh, it's kind of like uh, the, the Sears lingerie catalog section, you know? Like, it's not much difference. And then you go, you get hold of your first Hustler. Or whatever, like, Whoa! Oh, yeah. Is that what the inside of it looks like? Like, what? No, Playboy was Caramel and Hustler was Greenwood. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it was like. Wow! I'm not going to this. I'm not going to this part of town. Yeah. Hustler was like, oh, this, this she's nice. <laughs> Mom, <laughs> meet Bambi. <you> know? <laughs> That's what it was like. Like, oh my God. Hustler changed, Hustler scared you and changed your life. Dude. Bro. I remember we, there was, um, I think it was in Hustler, there was this um, uh, college con- amateur contest or something, and a girl from our high school gets in it she's like 16 <laughs> at the time and we saw like one of the dudes saw, and she used her real name and she was from fairland indiana and all this stuff and she's like my, my dream is to take on nikki six and somebody else and a threesome and and anal all this, this story like and we're like she's 16 and I think there was a big deal about, like, she lied to Hustler because I don't think there was any, like, repercussions for them. But it was a big deal for a minute because we we're like, what am I? I know her. She's in my gym class. <laughs> I listen to Motley Crue, too. <laughs> Guess what I'm going to Halloween. I'm Nikki Six. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible. Oh my gosh! So you went to, so you grew up there, and you joined the military. You became what made you come um, a marine? What made you? Want to my dad a was a marine. Oh, and, okay, okay. And I was in college. I fucked it all up, dude. I was supposed to go to little bitty Vincennes University when it was a junior college. Well, it was a university then, but two year university. Oh, JUCO's are the best. Dude. Yeah, and I was supposed to go there and play baseball. Yeah. What so, position? What position? Second base. Okay, easy. Yeah. So I I just fuck it off. I don't show up. Like Why? Because I'm. A dumb kid who's just partying and drinking all the time. I spent my senior year of high school with no parents. My parents moved to Texas, and I lived with two of my best friends in a house with no parents. My entire senior year of high school. Oh, so nothing got accomplished. I was the biggest fuck it off ever. Like, I was good at Would your parents just leave you like like they did on on, on vacation with the dog? They just leave you? I mean, what happened? No, they took me to Texas, and they wanted me to go to Longview High School, where where Matthew McConaughey went. Now, I missed out there because he and I would end up best friends, and my life would be a lot different now. You wouldn't be here. Yeah. So, I... uh, I, I go to the a visit at the school, and it looks like a college campus. It's a 5A Texas school. Yeah. My biggest sport was baseball. They didn't have wrestling. And I'm like, I worked so hard to get where I am for my senior year. I'm supposed to be starting shortstop this year. What are we talking about? Yeah. Worked my whole career from bouncing tennis balls off the side of the barn to be the starting shortstop my senior year. And you want me to go to this school where everybody's going to Division One college after this? Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't even get a play. So I, I end up guilting them into letting me go back and stay with uh, my friend. So, but you didn't trust yourself, though, right? Because you could have been a good base. I mean, you, did, whether you didn't think you were good enough or you just got intimidated. I just looked around the campus, and I'm like, this, I, probably, I, weighed, I only weighed 138 pounds when I graduated high school. 
So, so we, you, I was good at, for a small school baseball team. But you went to Texas and you got, you got Texas These intimidated. These kids are all like 205 pounds. They look like they're straight out of Division One. They're already. Royden probably. Yeah. Probably Royden. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, there's no way I'm going to play. So, I, I yeah, I spent all, my whole senior year just partying, drinking. I was out of control. They tried to kick me out of school because I missed like 42 days <laughs> of school. And my dad had to fly over from Texas and beg them to let me finish my senior year. 42 days of school and you're eight, you're 18. I mean, <laughs> how much of a fuck up can you be? Oh, dude, the worst. The Jesus. worst. I would, you know, I was undefeated. I played tennis and <laughs> I was undefeated the whole season to go into sectionals, and me and my doubles partner, Mike, who, he was a star of our football team, quit just to play tennis with me because he just he was just tired of getting hit or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, he was good at tennis. So we go 19-0, and 0, and we're, we're probably supposed to win the state. Yeah. Like, we were that good. Yeah. And then we go to sectionals. We're drunk until, like, 6 in the morning just out partying, and they have to sober up enough to go – to the sectional tournament on zero sleep, and we get beat in the first round. Like that's that's Jesus. how I that's how I treated myself. Fuck. <laughs> okay, looking back on it now, I mean, do you go fuck? I mean, do you? I I, I I'm glad it worked out the way it did because I think it shaped me more. Because I wasn't going to go anywhere from there. I was never going to be a professional tennis player. I was never going to make it in the major leagues. Like, if I fucked off a little bit, had fun. I do the time I hit college. I was, I was like party pro, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I was like a Vietnam veteran walking into a, an ROTC company. I'm like, you guys don't know what action. What are you talking about? <laughs> like I had already partied so hard. They could throw nothing my way. Like, uh, so I, I like, and then I saw other kids that didn't party at all. Like straight A students go to college and lose their fucking minds and get kicked out in the semester because yes. they flunked out. Yes. Like, so, you know, I was, I was glad. I felt like I was war hard for the world <laughs> after that. So, so you ended up joining the military. Yeah, so I go, to, I go to Texas after high school and fucked off again I was, because I was supposed to play baseball. Just didn't show up. And I was like, I'll just go play baseball somewhere in Texas. No, even junior colleges there are all like all-American high school kids. Right. So um, I just ended up joining the Marine Corps after one semester at Kilgore Junior College. I was like... Yep, we played them in, we played yeah. them in football. Oh, I My junior you. college, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were, I mean, the Rangerettes. They man. were great. That, that's where the, the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleader Squad started. Yeah. From the Kilgore Rangerettes. Trust me, I know, man. So I, uh, I was like, after one semester, I was like, I don't know, I always want to go do something. I knew I was undisciplined as shit. Like, I was a, just a partier and a mess, and I never kept a job, any of that stuff. So I was like, I think I need discipline. Well, that's, so that's cool. Yeah, the, the 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 wherewithal to go. Yeah. This is what I need. Yeah, in my life. I Otherwise, like, I'm going nowhere. Yeah, because I would just quit too easy. That yeah. was my whole thing. I was like, um, you know, that's kind of hard. I'm just going to quit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like Ron White said, that boy got a lot of quitting. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I I joined the Marine Corps. Went in there. Best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, it sucked, obviously, but. You know, the old, like, wrestler in me kicked in in boot camp. So I was really good. Like, rest, nothing's harder than wrestling practice, right? <laughs> yes. Like, you, even boot camp, I'm like, it, you can never reach the level of a wrestling practice. Yes. And no matter how grueling it gets now, it's over a prolonged three-month period. Right. That sucked. But so the, the physical part of it didn't was no problem for me. So I, I was able to just focus on the mental and that's what I was lacking. Like, you know, I want to be like, fuck you to the drill instructor when he mouthed off. To be able to learn to keep my mouth shut yes. and just deal with it and be calm and, 
and just focus on your mission and all that stuff. Yeah. That's what I learned. Okay. Like, that's what I got from it the most. And that just changed me from there. Then I was a go-getter. Okay. I mean, I was somebody that you wanted on your, you know, on your team at work or wherever uh-huh. or going out to do anything. Like I was a, I was a motivated person. I was a good leader, you know, and all those things I learned from the Marine Corps. That's great then. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So did you ever think about going special forces or like uh, being like a, a, a Green Beret or a, a, I, a I would have loved seal? to. This is where I messed up, in my opinion. Now, look, my dad would argue it was the best thing to do. He talked me into going in as a reservist. Okay. Because right? he had been a Marine. He was like, ah, you know, four years, long time. Um, maybe you'd go in as a reservist. And plus, as a reservist, you could lock in your, your job. Okay. Uh, you go in active yes. duty in the Marine Corps, you're just whatever they give you, they give you, right? So you, they can make you a cook for four years. Yeah. So I, uh, I did that so I could get military police. So I was like, oh, that sounds like a cool job. So I go in, and I was really good in boot camp and infantry school. And then when I went to military police school, I was our class leader. I ran us every morning for formation. You know, I was the guy in charge. And the HMX Battalion came in. And the HMX Battalion is the White House detail the Camp David detail oh. and the helicopter detail. Okay. Okay. Um, what do they call the Air Force or the the President's helicopter? Uh, Air Force One. I think that's the plane, but it's something like that. Okay. Right? Whatever. HMX One. It's called HMX One. Okay. Okay. So um, they came. They only come like every three or four years, and they only pull people that are in military police school to do that those jobs. So they show up and they wanted me. I went through the the, the interviews and everything, and I, me and one other guy get selected. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to be guarding the president now. So I go for um, the following day. They pull us in and to kind of go over what we're going to need to get our orders straight. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, hey, we didn't know you were a reservist. Because they don't tell the instructors. They don't want to treat you any differently. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Why? And they're like, because well, you can't go into HMX if you're a reservist. Oh. And I go, switch me to active duty. Right now, let's just do that. I'll sign the paperwork. And they're like, we can't. You have to sh- be released from here. Go to your duties, your reserve duty station, sign in for at least one day, and then you can request to go active duty. But that's the process. And that takes you out of this HMX selection thing. And I'm like, oh, my God. Are you kidding me, dude? I almost got to guard the president dude. and ride in the helicopter or work, work the White House. Like That's not special forces, but for... Marine Corps shit, that's pretty cool. Oh, like that's my God. Pretty prestigious Did hurt? job. Did that hurt. Oh, I, dude, I was beside myself. I mean, I almost wanted to cry. I was just like, what did I do if I just would have came in here active duty? Now, here's the thing, though. I could have went in an active duty, and they could have said, oh, you're a machine gunner. You yeah. know, you're an infantry guy. And yeah. then I would never got that opportunity anyway. Right, right. So I don't know. But if I could go back and do it all over again, because I knew I was in really good shape, and... I could handle the physical part. I would have went into the army and tried to be a Green Beret. I think they're the baddest ass of all special forces. Of, of, even even the Rangers and the and Delta Rangers Delta and uh, uh, Seal. Yeah, and here's why. Now uh-huh. I'm not saying they're more badass ninjas. They're more well rounded. I didn't know this about, but I got a chance to interview when I when I was the host of Heartland Radio for Pat McAfee. I got to have the guys or. Two of the guys that were portrayed in the movie 12 Strong. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes. it was after the 9-11 attack. They get sent to basically figure out the landscape of Afghanistan and what's going on with the oh. Taliban and all that at the time, and then report back and to formulate a plan. These are just 12, 12 Green Berets. Sent them alone. 
and said, just go figure out what's going on and come up with a solution about how to rid Afghanistan of the Taliban. So they go in there and they root themselves in with like the different uh, tribes. Uh, tribes and the tribal leaders and the people that are against the Taliban. And they rallied all these tribes together, which hadn't been done in thousands of years to work in concert because they war with each other. Yeah. And fought alongside them on horseback in the mountains and ran the Taliban out of Afghanistan. So they are like not only ninjas and all that stuff, they are diplomats. They all speak three languages. Fluently. Yes. Fluently. And, and Arabic is so Yes. Hard. And they, they all know each other's jobs. They're all like nurse level, medical technicians. All this, like to me, they're just the baddest ass things ever. But also, if it comes down to it, like they're telling all these parts of the story. And then the one guy, um, I was like, uh, so what? I knew the other guy was the leader. If you ever watched the movie 12 Strong, the one guy we had there was at one part the tribal leader won't look at the captain, he'll only look at the older guy. And he's like, What? Why do you never look at me? Why do you always look at him? He's like, Because he has killer eyes, he knows what it's like to kill. You've never killed. Basically, that guy, the killer eyes guy, he was on my show. And I was I like in awe of him, right? Wow. So then I'm looking at the other guy and I'm like, Well, what was your job there? And he was like, um, Oh, I was my job was basically just to wreak havoc, terrorize the terrorists. And like, what's that mean? He's like, Well, you know, I had these guys from all over different um different countries, special forces guys. I was in charge of them, and we would just kind of sneak into the little terrorist, the Taliban camps at night, you know, and just give little hug, hugs and kisses. And, and I'm like, I let it go at first. And, and then finally I go, all right, listen, I don't know what the hugs and kisses things means, but I was like, when we think of you guys in movies, it's like, oh, you sneak in at night, and you got your knife out, and there's a guy, you know, with the machine gun holding guard, and you sneak up behind him, you put your hand over his mouth, and you shove the knife to the back of the base of his skull, and you drop him before he can alert anybody else. He goes, yeah, a lot of that stuff. <laughs> and I was like, what? Wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. they have some stories, dude. I bet. I mean, I want to. Th- can they even tell those stories, though? Oh, if they're uncla- if they've been declassified. Okay, okay. Now, some of the stuff, the coolest stories they told us off air. Yeah, oh, I, I can imagine. Like there yeah. was, he tells a story about this uh, dude. And I don't mean to go off topic, but no, this, this go, crazy go, go, story. go. So there was this dude from uh, somewhere in Eastern Europe, and he was a bodybuilding champion. He was an SF guy for you know British Royal Marines or yeah. something that was assigned to them, and he was in the the sneak into the camp and give hugs and kisses group, and uh, they got into a hell of a fight one night, I guess, and it got bad. And this guy ran out of ammo and got trapped in a house with three guys alone. And he fought himself out of the house. When he came out, he had a separated shoulder, and they said that he was just covered in blood. Like, you just poured blood, buckets of blood on him. And his shoulder was all, like, hanging out, looking weird. And he came out. He had killed all three of those guys with his bare hands. When they went in there to clean it with his bare hands, killed three men in a like a ten by twelve room, Fuck. fighting in a phone booth, bro. When it when it's fight or flay, man. Can you imagine? Dee. That's just another Dee. level of existence. Why? I, no, I mean it sounds better here, but man, if I if I was there, I think I'd just shit on myself. <laughs> I can't. Oh God. No, I'm. Don't please don't. Ow. You, you know. just rub it all over yeah. yourself. <laughs> you want to come at me now? He's just crazy. He's crazy. He's American crazy. He's the Taibo guy. I thought you knew. I thought you knew karate. Why do Taibo guys shit on himself? You pussy. Yeah, I just. I, I have to tell this story about when you and I ran into each other at the Atlanta airport. 
And you were sitting and talking at that little coffee spot or whatever for about, I don't know, 20 minutes. Yeah. You, you left to go catch your flight. Then a dude sitting next to me walks over. He goes, dude, how do you know Billy Blanks? <laughs> that is the one dude I say I look like. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, sure. back in my day, back in my early days before the weight got on, I, I had a little kind of like a goatee almost. And uh, they swarping down in South Dakota that I was Tupac. <laughs> and then um, Deion Sanders, I've gotten Cordell Stewart, but yeah, it's him. Look, yeah, tell, tell me that's not me. Yeah, now he's all swell up now. He's he's really put. Well, some he's like on. seventy. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, he's like but, seventy. But when you guys both were in your peak, I mean, I'm yeah, still in my peak. You, you guys say it like that, Todd. I mean, that hurts, man. You said when you both were still in your peak, you're trying to you're trying to see him past my peak. <laughs> you said when, when you both, you both were still. In your, no, I really do. That's the money I go. Holy shit! So mm. I, I'll give you that one. Yeah, man. Wow, that's funny, man. So it's okay. So military's over. Mm-hmm. So you come back. Do you come back here? Yeah, I got activated during the Gulf War. So I spent like a, a year stateside. The rotation stopped. So we just, I I, ended, I watched the war end when I was in Norway. <laughs> so and then we came back oh, nice. and those people were stuck there because that war lasted like three days officially or something. <laughs> and uh, then they're all stuck there with all the these. Three day war. <laughs> yeah, Kentucky and Indiana go longer than that. Right. <laughs> So we're all stuck. They're all stuck in the desert for the next year, you know, waiting to to do whatever they got to do to get back. And then, but we had all the bases here, Marine Corps bases, especially the, the, um, the, the air ones where, where they have aircraft and stuff, they were just depleted manpower wise. So we just, we had a big unit. We were out of Dallas, Fort Worth and we had cooks, we had MPs, we had, we had Air Force mechanic or airplane mechanics, all that stuff. So we just took over the base, mm-hmm. and it was kind of cool. We did that for a year, and that was enough for me to go. I think I think my dad was right, being because after a year of it, yeah. And I was like, I am so bored, dude. Like yeah. stateside Marine Corps MP stuff is so boring. Yeah. I'm just guarding gates and walking around airplanes at night to make sure nobody tries to steal them. Like I was like, going to happen. <laughs> um, so it's just so boring. Yeah. And uh, you just garden shit. So I was like, but everybody I was stationed with there in my unit were cops, like Dallas cops and Texas state troopers and stuff. And they would just tell these awesome stories, you know, and I'm 19 at the time, 20, 20 years old. And I'm just soaking it all in. I'm like, oh, I want to be one of those. I want to be a real cop, man. Those stories are awesome. So as soon as I got back, um, I went back to school. Um, for two more years, and then I just started applying. What was your major? What was your major? Criminal justice. Okay, there you go. You're getting ready. It was easy. They didn't make you take any math. Ain't nothing bad. No shit. You and me both. Whatever didn't have math, yeah. I'll fucking do it. If there's no math, I'll do I'll it. I'll do it, yeah. 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 It could have been anything. It could have been, I don't know. what. Sewing. It could have been, yeah, designing pup courses. But they'd never be math. So. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> as long as there's no fucking <laughs> Maybe pup course management or something. But, uh. But I was like, no math, I'm in. It was easy. I never had to study or anything. Yeah. And um, then I just applied to police departments forever. It seemed like couldn't get on, couldn't get on. I got on Kentucky State Police, and I fucked up my hand and tore a tendon off the pinky, so it kicked me out of the process. Well, how'd you do that? Fighting? Just wrestling around. I went back to wrestle one day. Yeah. And uh, like with the wrestling team or whatever. <laughs> and then me and my buddy, who has also been out of school for a while, we're like, oh, let's get in. We really went at it. And I put my hand down, and I fell. And he was like, <laughs> Doing a hip toss or something, and I 
instead of just falling, you know, I didn't have to fall anymore. I put my hand down and <laughs> rip my pinky off. So then I, I ended up getting on Indiana State Police, and yeah, the rest was history there. I got lucky two and a half years on. I, I made detective, so I spent my entire career like being one kind of detective. Right how did, okay, how do you make detective from, from State Patrol? Like, what's the process of that? You have to take this written test, right, to even qualify to put in for a job. Yeah. So I had taken the criminal investigations test, had a pretty, pretty high score. And then um, when you submit, if you make the, the top tier group from your test score, you go for interviews. Okay. And then they take the highest scores from the interviews and would have let down to like a like a final interview. And I had two and a half years on it. And that's and I was working in BFE, Indiana. Like where? Small town Indiana, like near the Ohio border, like Switzerland County, Ugh. Ripley County, just out in the middle of nowhere. Ah. I mean, yeah. At that and that was like um like one one Marshall Towns and shit, you know what I mean? You'd show up and this guy would get called out. You'd show up and your backup would come in his pickup truck and he'd have overalls on and he's just holding his gun in his hand. You don't have a holster on or nothing. He might put you it don't in have a pocket. holster? Yeah, it was. He puts it in his pocket. Yeah. He puts the gun. I shit you not, dude. <laughs> like that's the kind of law enforcement that was there without us. So um, then I put in for a detective job at the Indianapolis Post. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture some dude in a truck. Hey, man, I'm glad you guys are here. Just puts his gun. I'm not you. Probably 78 years old. Just old Ray was his name. He just gets <laughs> out of his pickup truck. He's good. You know, he just threw on his bib overalls and grabs his gun. Probably couldn't find his holster. You know, like, oh, I don't know where that's at. Let's grab this. Crazy shit. So I go from that to making detective <laughs> in Indianapolis, like our biggest city. Right, right, right. And then I'm like, oh, that's like TV cop shit. You yeah. know, the shit really goes down there. And now, now I got to go do it. And I only have two and a half years on. So I, I was just thrust into it, man. It was like warrior school. Like it was, it was like, it was like a different planet, like yeah. police wise. Yeah. And, oh, duh, yeah. I mean, I was in the hood all of a sudden. Yeah, you know, black like, people to deal with. Oh, yeah. They're, if they're, <laughs> occasionally I did there, but that's just because they were just walking around after dark. Yeah. And somebody, <laughs> somebody called in. What would they say? I'm what would they say? Out. Please, please I was tell me what they would Osgood, say. Osgood, Indiana. Okay. Shame on you, Osgood, but this is your history. Um, driving patrolling, it was probably 8 9 and I just had gotten dark, and we had a call of a suspicious person walking. Near the railroad tracks by the mini mart, and uh, I'm like, um, can you advise further what they're doing? Why they're suspicious? Uh, caller just says that the person's black, and I'm like, okay, all right. Is this 1950? What are we? Talking about? <laughs> this town lost in time. Like, will you really just put that out over the county dispatch? Did you have to, did you have to go there? Did you have to go and say, hey, man, uh, listen. No. I just advise them that's not against the law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that was my response. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That's a, I hate to even say that about a little no, boy I was going to Indiana, but it's the truth. No, it's like, I know it's the truth. That, to me, it's why it's funny because it's the truth i mean it's like i can't man i'm glad you said it by you saying it it's not thank you and it, I, I it's hilarious to me it's, it is okay so why do some cops do like do respond to that you know what i mean like why do some like instead of going look i ain't going to that shit we know i know what that's about blah blah, blah shame on you but where you went eh. i mean and some cops do go to that yeah i guess the probably the locals were probably used to dealing with that like if you were born and raised there and you're just a racist yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> it's like 
unfortunately, they're racist cops. And, and, that's how, and it's worse at the smaller departments, right? When you get out in areas like that, because yeah. they, they have no diversity whatsoever. Yeah. So then this, they're operating from a level of ignorance. Yeah. Oh, God. you all you preach to the choir. Here. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, uh, duh, duh. I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced racism Me? or not. No. <laughs> 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 That's why it's hilarious. <laughs> Are there ever any cops that like kind of push? They 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 want you to fuck. They want you to retaliate back so they can arrest you or beat you up, whatever. Do you know of any cops who've ever done that before? Oh. Have you ever seen that before? Where you go, man, this is not right. I've definitely seen cops cause a fight where there shouldn't have been one, just out of ego. Not like, okay, like, uh, what, what was the scenario? You can get names like, or places, but just, like, what was the scenario? Like, I've never seen, fortunately, in my career where I worked, I never saw, like, it happen because of race or religion or any other yeah. kind of thing. But I've just seen the ego, like, ton, tons of times, where a cop, this is an example of, uh, you know, um, just the way he initially approached the person, it's hostile. So now that puts that person on the defensive, right? Right. He, he'd be like... Um, you get a call, I don't know, um, a domestic, say it's a domestic. You show up right away, or and the, the husband comes to the door, and you're like, uh, put your hands on your head, put your hands on your head, gives, gives, and you just start yelling out orders, whatever. Like, right away, that guy's like, wait a minute. You know, you don't know if that call, like, by that it's bad yet. You know, you just know that the neighbors called in and said that there was a lot of screaming come from that house. Right. And it could have been over. I, I scream at my house all the time to my football girlfriend games. and fiance. Yes. Yeah. And it's not always bad. Or they it's always like, vacuum when you're watching a yeah. fucking football <laughs> game. Women do that. They always vacuum at the most, at, at right. the point like, honey, it's a field goal for the fucking Super Bowl. Well, this carpet's got to be clean. Right, they right, always right. do that shit. So yeah. 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 And, so and then scream. it just escalates from there. And then the cop just like wants to be Billy Bob badass because he has some kind of fucking steam problem right you know and uh, whether he was bullied in school or whatever in the hell he's trying to prove to himself and and then he ends up in a fight and the guy goes to jail because you're gonna lose you fight you fought a cop you know? yeah and it's it never should have happened in the first place you well, see that all the time when you see it happen do you go fuck i mean because you gotta be you gotta back your partner up so but you go man fuck, why'd you do this oh i just always step in if i can see like hey this guy this guy isn't necessarily a guaranteed fight right now. Because I don't want to fight anybody. I got you know, all this gear on and shit. It's hard to fight with that stuff on, first of all. Right. So I would just always take over. I mean, I had a dominating personality as far as that would go. I would just be like, hey, hey, let me talk to him. I'd be like, come here. Come in the other room with me. And yeah. I would just grab the guy and I would de-escalate. Yeah, okay. And that, you know, the best cops are great de-escalators. Yes. And it's, it's just about confidence, too. At the time when I was younger, you know, I did jiu-jitsu. I, was like, I, I wrestled. I could take care of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't need to fight anybody. Like, I'm going to get hurt. I know that because I have fought a lot and I got hurt every time, yeah. you know? So <laughs> I don't, do don't want to get hurt yeah. today. And um, so I think those people that come from, and that's part of the reason I was glad I came up like I did, even though I was a bit of a, you know, a reckless kid or whatever, but I, I, I had confidence in, I, I, in myself it, enough to where I knew, like, I had nothing to prove out here. Yeah. And that's where cops get themselves in trouble, beyond, like, the racist cops or any of that right, stuff, right, right. which is its own separate problem. But um, cops and their egos, to me, is the biggest thing. That's what I experienced the most around here. Now, okay. you work in a bigger department. You would think, like, bigger departments have bigger problems, I think it's the other way. Smaller departments have bigger problems as far as like dirty cops and problems with cops. Yeah. Because there's less oversight. 
right? So you work at a big department, you got internal affairs and all these, you have cops that are just constantly looking to hammer cops over stuff. Okay. So wow, I didn't know that yeah, really. You're kept a little more in check. You okay. Know what I mean, um, at least nowadays. Yeah. So, um, I was at a big department. I worked with the Indianapolis police department a lot. So I just, I didn't encounter much of the stuff that we're seeing on social media right now, fortunately. Yeah. Um, but I will say this, it's all in training people and it's all in mentorship. So anybody you see in these videos right now, like the, that fucking animal from, uh, Minnesota. Yeah. That thankfully got found guilty. Yeah. That dude was taught that. Like he came up in a culture where a guy that he respected acted like that as a cop. Okay. You know what I mean? He didn't yeah. just show up one day. I don't think and was just a psychopath. Yeah. You know? He he became that over time, in my opinion. That's how it usually happens. Okay. So I mean, that's it starts at the top. And that's it. like if they're gonna change things, they gotta start at that administrative level and stop. I think they're distracting people right now with the individual cops that are just patrolmen. Like here's a bigger problem. No problem starts at, you know, if it's an if it's of an epidemic proportion or it's a systemic problem. Then it all comes from the top down. Okay. You know what I mean? That makes sense like everywhere, right? Yeah. Like if you're making shitty cars at Ford, you know, let's just not start, let's not blame it on the fucking guy on the assembly line. Like, yeah, he's probably a bad worker, but why is he allowed to be here as a bad worker? Yes. yes. How did he become a bad worker? Why was he never motivated to make fucking great SUVs? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's always upper management. It's an issue there. And they're passing the buck, I feel like. So do so you think at, at like a bigger department, do you think, in some place, do you think it would help? Let's put it this way. Because, I mean, I always said this. I always say it's more of a power thing. And then it gets divided sometimes by race. But I think it's more of a power. Because I've seen stuff. I mean, I've seen it with my own two eyes stuff happens where it's a power thing. And then sometimes like, it gets divided by race. But you think it would help sometimes between that little friction between uh, the cops in the African-American community or the hood, whatever. Even the Mexicans, whatever, whatever, whatever. That if they had people like them in their neighborhoods, if they had like more black cops in the neighborhood or more or more Hispanic cops in a Hispanic neighborhood or, or so forth, you think that would help? This is exactly what needs to happen, and this is how I think you do it. Like it's all about socioeconomic oppression, right? I think so. These also, areas that we call the hood or yes. whatever were designed to be that by the government back in the day. Yes, and they knew that. Okay, we'll we'll tuck all the minority population there. Yeah, and there's going to be no opportunity there because who cares? Right. All the opportunity is going to be out here around it in the donut area where all the white people are going to live. Yeah. I mean, that's how it was designed. And now people what's happening now is a result of that because there's been people trapped there just financially um, because they're not they don't have the opportunities. Their schools aren't as good, you know, and they just there's just not as much opportunity to to get out and succeed. Not that people don't do it, but it's just because they're badasses. Yeah. Right? So um, now now we have those areas where. If you look on like violent crime um, uh, maps, like those glow in red, right? Those areas. This is a lot. Most of the violent crime happens there, mm-hmm. and it. But it's a cultural thing that's been developed because of the lack of opportunity and the position they that people have been put in there, right? Mm-hmm. So if you go in there and just immediately say, "Hey, we fucked up," you know, our government was racist as hell because our country was racist as hell, and. Free college for everybody. Here. <laughs> like, seriously, like, yeah. free college for everybody. Not not like welfare-type free college. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you work for the college, too, or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I see what you're then, saying. And then start making up ground and say, hey, we want police officers and firefighters and public safety personnel from here. 
So let's start mentoring that while people are in middle school, up into high school. I think even elementary. Yeah. I think if you can get them where they're younger, younger, because that that elementary, the way you get them, we know where like even no matter, even if they're hood, it, it, when you go in, elementary kids, I don't care whether they still have the kind of like ah, and then somewhere on the line that ah becomes a man fucked it. So mm-hmm. I think if you catch them there and you keep that ah. You know, like, ah, and then at middle school, ah, and then they see who, you know, around the neighborhood. And you have cops. I don't think walk the beat. I don't know if that's the thing. But if you can, in that neighborhood, learn people's names and whatever. So you see a kid, you go, hey, Calvin, don't be doing that shit. And you yeah. go, I'm sorry, officer, whatever. I think that would help. And that's just it me would. talking to my ass. And, and there should be cops with their full-time jobs. And, you know, they do that with, like, D.A.R.E. or whatever. But then they've been cutting those programs for years now. Yeah, man. Even before all this mess. Um in, in the police athletic leagues, all that funding got cut. There used to be cops that worked for the police athletic league full time. Those were jobs. And they mentored. They, they had boxing and they had things for people in areas that lacked opportunity to give them something to do other than to get in trouble on the street. Yeah. And they changed a lot of lives back then. But imagine if you really put a lot of focus in that. Like almost like 25% of what cops do is mentor people and help people in their own communities and the, mostly the communities that need it the most. And you, like you said, then your heroes could be cops and firemen and all the, not, not just the person who can afford, uh, you know, the flashiest car cause he hustles hard. Right. You know what I mean, cause then it's all about status. You want to yes. be, you want status. Right. And if you can change what status means, and and then start cultivating public safety people from inside that community to serve that community. And you're right; it probably starts at elementary age. I, I think so. They're, because- it's like youth counselors or something, but they're cops, you know. Yes. And you should have a, a swarm of them. Like there, it shouldn't be this. Well, there's one guy for seven schools. Yeah. You know, you can't do that. I, I just think that, yeah, we catch some kids. Like, my roommate's kid, man, there's a picture of him. Like, the cops came to his school to do and he got a chance to to run the lights. Yeah. And the look on his face, man, he's like, I mean, fuck. And I think about that. If that they could do that at a, at a, at a school in the hood or whatever mm-hmm. and, and, and keep that. As just step by step by step to middle school, so so it's not like I mean that fucked up. If they pass by, you don't have that immediate anger. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that's what needs to be done. Police man. camps—they have these police camps, but they're usually in well-to-do areas, yeah. like where you know where like suburb police departments and stuff. And like your kids can go there for the summer for this camp, and it's it's kind of like explorer type, you know, soft uh, police stuff. They, you know, maybe you shoot a, you shoot a gun once or something, but. Uh, mostly it's like, let's go hiking today or we're going to go canoeing. It's like regular <laughs> camp, but it's random. Your counselors are cops. And it's all about like, hey, you see this person? That's a good person to look up to. They're not scary right now, you know? <laughs> Why is it, though, that sometimes cops are... Okay, does it piss you off, though, to see... Like, I've seen on TV, and I've, I, I know what I see when I see it. And it's almost like... I just remember seeing a couple of videos... Of like when the cops take a dude out of a car and he goes quit resisting. Is that their code word for like they can be uh, basically uh, to beat the shit out of somebody? And go well, you saw you resisting because I've seen that. Like and the guy wasn't resisting. I know what resisting is and I go, man, this shit is so fight. Is like the police union that strong? 
I think it's that's one of the commands they teach you in the academy during defensive tactics, and that just sticks in your head, so they yell it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, sometimes maybe they're saying it to like, well, then people around will, will hear, and they're like, right. well, I heard them say he was resisting. You know? Yeah. And yeah. So there might be something to that as well. Yeah. But I know it's like I used to teach defensive tactics, and that was just one of the basic things. You're like, okay, you start with stop resisting, stop resisting, stop resisting yeah. to let them know if you don't, I'm going to, I'm going to escalate. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. So I think sometimes, sometimes it's just training that shit gets stuck in their head. I always hated that. Cause I, I, I honestly, I really, really do hate feeling a, a sense of animosity toward, I mean, I really do. Like I was, I was literally just a wide eyed country boy so much when I left Oklahoma to go to Chicago when I moved to Chicago and then that was when I was like man fuck these guys I mean I, I, mean, I never was a fuck the police kind of guy and I mean stuff happened in my hometown I was like eh, but I didn't really get it get it right and then I went to Chicago and I was like alright these, these guys aren't really good people and then I moved to Texas I had never had any problems in Texas and then then it really got bad when I was in California. And I was like, these are a different breed. I just remember being put in Manhattan Beach, California. That was when I had nothing, but I had hatred. I hated those motherfuckers, man. I mean, here's the thing about it, though. I played on the same hockey. I was in the same hockey league with those dudes. And, like, I, would, I worked at a hockey rink. would open up on Friday, and we play against the cops. We got them ready for the police Olympics. And these motherfuckers still pulled me over. I had to go to a special kind of court, and they all found me guilty. I go, you mother... I was like... I was so mad. I go, you mother... I just, I just got to play hockey with you. Yeah, I mean, it was... Oh, God, yeah. I just remember being... Yeah, man. That's when the contempt... But I... But that's when they got to recognize that's the problem, right? Like yeah. you can be the you're the farthest thing from anybody who would ever cause trouble. You don't drink. You yeah. Don't, you know, you're a freaking superior athlete in college and high school. <laughs> and you're uh, you're out there acting in movies and you're, you know, yeah. at the highest level of stand up comedy. And and still they've done enough to make you hate cops. That's how you know there's a problem. Exactly. And yeah, I'm the easiest guy to get along with, man. I mean, I don't know how many times I've stopped, cops pull me over. And if I'm wrong, I go, man, you got me. Yeah. I, got, I, I went, to, matter of fact, I went to court in Columbus, Indiana. I was like, well, fuck, I'm going to show up. Like, if the cop didn't show up, you know, I'd get off mm -hmm. something. And I was, I was pulling my truck and I go, God damn it. I see the car in. So I go, <laughs> well, maybe it's another cop. So I got in the courtroom. He was just saying, I go, God damn it. And then his lawyer turned around and go, hey, listen. Um, my guy's here, and he's pretty much said you did it. So you want to just play it out right now? <laughs> and before I can say anything, <laughs> I mean, you understand? I'm right behind the lawyer. Just said, "Listen, my guy's here, and you're, you're not gonna." <laughs> yeah. Before I can answer, the judge came in. He goes, "Well, listen, you're pretty much guilty." And so, so I said, "Fuck it, man. You know, I, you never know." And so he, you know, he like he takes a stand. You know how it is. It left. So I'm mm -hmm. at my table. He's at his table. And so the cop he goes, "Okay," he said. Hey, you got me. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And I was like, God damn it. I was trying to be honest, but the cop was reading what I said verbatim. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty much me. He goes, he said, and I quote, yeah, you got me. I was speaking. And, I was, and the judge looked at me like that. I go, I'm guilty. <laughs> so, yeah. That, those said. are the little tricks. On the, back in the days, we used to write tickets out yeah. at least. Yeah. There were several copies there. And one underneath there is for notes. That's for the officer's notes. Yeah. And... So you, you, you ask, and you're taught this by your, your trainers, right? So you show up, and you, you walk up to the, the window of the car, and you're like, um, sorry, uh, Trooper McComas, you know, State Police, do you have any idea how fast you're going? And you, usually 99% of the time, they're like, no, I don't. Yeah. And you're like, write that down. Because that way, if you go to court and be like, your Honor, I was only going 55 miles per hour, you'd be like, 
you said here that I do not know or have no idea, and then you know that's how you get fucked. Nowadays they have the little body recorders. But, yeah. Uh, so when did when did it get to the point you were like, you know what? And when did you get to the point where you went from doing being a cop to going, yeah, I mean, I want to try to stand up comedy. How did comedy come into the whole thing? Because I was dating a girl who, and I, I was. I was under working undercover at this time, and I was dating a girl who was a chef, which that part was awesome. Oh shit! Uh, yeah, and uh, she had just she had survived cancer like before I started dating her, and, but she still had this bucket list she was knocking out all the time. So she'd go hike the Grand Canyon one okay. month and then somewhere else the next. So she talked me into making a bucket list, and to try stand up comedy one time was my number one. Okay. And I didn't thought I'd have to follow through with it or right, right, whatever. Right. I didn't know anything about yeah, I didn't know people from here could be comedians. <laughs> so uh, she had a friend who, uh, her cousin was Jonathan Finler from here, right? Yeah, so, crazy Finler. Yeah. God damn, I love that dude. So she was like, uh, she got in touch with him, my girlfriend did, and he told her how to apply for the open mic at Crackers Comedy Club. And uh, next thing I know, she's like, hey, I signed you up, and in two weeks, you're, you go on a Tuesday, and you got three minutes. And I'm like, oh, holy shit, this is real now. Yeah. I'm going to have to do this? This is crazy. Yeah. So I, um, I show up, and I had taken four days off work to write three minutes of material, <laughs> right? <laughs> and just practice in front of the mirror and all this stuff. And I'm so nervous that the day of, my dad was going to go, and her... And then uh, a buddy of mine, we're all going to ride together up there. And then a bunch of people from work, friends, were going to come. So I'm one of those guys that, like, filled the room the first time. And uh, so I showed uh, I called my dad and my friend and my girlfriend. I said, hey, we're going to need to leave about three hours early. And they were like, why? And I was like, because I need some drinks. Like, I am not doing well. So we got a little Broad Ripple Tavern right around the corner from Crackers Comedy Club and just get shit-assed drunk. So I'm so drunk, like I don't remember my set the first time, but people liked it, I guess. And, um, <laughs> so they like, you should do it again, and I was yeah. like, okay, yeah. and I did it again, you know, and it went well, and uh, I remembered that one. And then the third time, I, it was like third time's the worst time, you know, where you're a little overly cocky. Yeah. You, oh yeah, I brought all my friends and they were just laughing because this is crazy. Yeah. And versus it being funny, and I just ate the biggest dick. Really? Uh, yeah. And then, but that's what made me get hooked was eating that big dick because yeah. I was like oh no I gotta turn this around because yeah. I get that competitiveness yes. in me like, exactly like I don't like not being good at this yes yeah and I know I, what you I mean. just saw a bunch of people that were good at it so yeah. I'm gonna get better than them yeah man and I just I couldn't stop doing it I mean you saw me and then I was like open mic in four or five nights a week I quit jujitsu because I couldn't yeah. you know I wasn't showing up for that enough anymore and uh, so comedy became jujitsu for me and as much as I was putting into that I started putting into comedy and when I got good enough to like finally start getting paid and stuff, and then I met definitely when I met Pat McAfee, and he started throwing around the idea of retiring from the NFL to go work for Barstool Sports. Uh, and definitely when he asked me for sure to do it, I was like, "Yeah, I can't, I can't." Like I'm gonna like I was still like getting older as a cop is the worst, right? Yeah. When you have my mindset, because I I had done all the cool jobs and I couldn't stop doing them because I'm like. I don't want to go from one of the cool jobs just sitting at a desk, yeah. you know, yeah. passing out flashlights or yeah. whatever. <laughs> <do>. So <laughs> I'm like, I got to be out there in the mix, man. So yeah. I'm, I ended, I was on the fugitive task force, just hunting down murderers and shit all the time. Yeah. Nobody could find. And I'm, we got a shootout. And I'm like, 
Yeah, I yeah, I'll quit. Like I'm gonna get be on my luck. Like last day on the job, thirty four yeah, years in, you hey, catch a bullet in a. Let me tell you something. Here's what I remember, man. And it's I don't know if I still had, had animosity in me, but I just remember, and I. And I apologize to Indy, but I've, I've been here since 2006. I may have watched the news maybe, maybe five times total since I've been here. Maybe. The one time I do watch, the situation with a cop and a shoot. I think the guy got shot or killed or whatever, and it was Todd was in it. Todd was in it, and I was like, and then you told me the story how you guys were chasing. It was in an apartment complex or yeah, whatever. You chasing yeah. the guy. You had him dead to right, and he had his gun on you, and it jammed. Yeah, he had me smoked, dude. Smoked I mean, and what, it just wouldn't fire. I mean, he was holding it wrong. So this Springfield the nine millimeter he had has a little bump out yeah. thing on the back of the handle. So you have to depress that before the trigger will pull. And he was like holding it kind of gangster style. Yeah. So he didn't have a good grip on it and it wouldn't let the trigger go. That was the only thing because it worked. Like after he was killed, they took it to the lab, Fired in the lab first time. Well, when you saw, I mean, what, what thought went through your fucking head when you see that gun? This is it. Like, what what thoughts? Well, so we were, he was chasing me around a car, right? He got to jump on me right away because <sighs> my brain was so slow. Like, I saw the gun when he was reaching for it, but I'm like, is that a gun? And he pulls it out, and I'm like, yep, that's a gun. So I duck behind this car <laughs> that's to our left. And he's about, I don't know, 20 feet from me then. So I pulled my gun and I'm behind the car. But then he he was a great man. He like that's like marine tactic. Go toward the fight. He went toward the fight. He went right at me. So when I looked up, he was like right around the other side of the car from me. So then I just run around the other side and I'm still like processing. Am I in a gunfight here? What's going on? And he's reaching over trying to pull the trigger. And I can hear the muzzle of the gun <sighs> tap the metal of the car every time he pulled the trigger. He's pulling so hard. And it's like only a few feet from my face, you know. Now I'm down trying to stay below the shot. And we just go around in circles like that for, I don't know, seven, eight revolutions. And then finally I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Just kill this guy before he kills you. So, Because I kept thinking, does, does the gun work? Is it not loaded? Like, does he have to shoot at me first? You know, like dumb stuff going yeah, through my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So finally I'm like, all right, when you get up to the passenger side window this time, just turn around and just start blasting through the glass to the other side. And when I raised up to do that, he was running away, luckily. And then, then I had a shot, like could have shot him in the back while he was running. Now, legally, I'm, a, I'm good with that um, if it comes down to it because he already exhibited he's trying to kill me. He is going to kill the next cop when he rounds the corner. Yeah. Right? So, um, but I didn't because I'm like, ah, you know. And then... He gets away. We chase. He ends up in a gunfight. Almost kills my buddy Brad. If the gun would have fired, he would have killed him because he ran up on his car and just went right up to the window and tried to shoot him through the window. Fuck. And uh, it wouldn't fire again. So he runs and he makes it across a fence to a neighborhood, and that's where he encounters the other cop in the gunfight and he I gets killed. That, yeah. And uh, and when I like we got to the fence, I was just like, it, we, there was no gunfire yet. We chased to the fence. We went on each side of the building. He was just gone. I'm like, oh, he made the fence. So we ran toward the fence, and then we just heard boom, 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 like the loudest thing I ever heard in my life. Like sound like cannon, a cannon going off. And I'm like, he's shooting through the fence. So everybody got down. I get behind this big like electrical box thing, yeah. and uh, then we hear somebody screaming. And I'm like, okay, um, some somebody got shot. And then my buddy Mitch runs over, jumps over the fence. And he starts screaming, man down, man down, we got a man down. And then 
I was like, fuck. Because when I was going to shoot this guy when he was running away, I didn't. And then after I didn't, I was like, God damn it, what if he kills somebody? You know, and I didn't put him down. Yeah. Then that's on me. And I'm like, fuck, did I just get one of our guys killed? Because I didn't shoot somebody in the back because I was afraid to be on CNN the next day. Right, right, right. And uh, so when we get over there, there's, you know, the bad guy's dying. He's been shot like seven, six, seven times. And the our guy who's in plain clothes is on his hands and knees, but he's holding up one of his hands and he's just covered in blood. So we grab him, we strip everything off of him, we're cutting his clothes, can't find any bullet wounds. And then finally I notice his like his left finger, um, pointer finger is just uh hanging there by a thread. And I'm like, Oh, I think it's all coming from his his fingers shot off. So we secured it to his chest, wrapped it up, and then uh come to find out that guy jumped the fence over or was waiting on the bad guy who jumped the fence in the yard and that guy was trying to shoot so he just kind of catches the gun as the guy jumped into him and was, pulled his gun up and just started blasting from like belly up toward the neck shot his own finger off as he was shooting the guy oh my god so he didn't get shot from the guy because the gun still went fire and the guy after uh, they got him to the hospital they found a 44 revolver in his back pocket like he didn't even think Thankfully, he didn't think to drop the gun that wasn't firing and grab that. God damn it. Because he had me, he had my buddy Brad, you know, he might have had Mike, this guy. Um, but, you know, that was one of those moments, like I always say, like, not every cop's racist, you know. I, I didn't shoot this guy, and he was, he was black, and he was running away from me because I knew what that would look like, even though legally I could have and, I, you know, probably should have tactically because no, I could have yeah. gotten two guys killed. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things like taking a life is a big thing. And when you're trying to process that in an instant, like, yeah. do I want to kill somebody right now? You know, I, no, I don't want to kill anybody. Fuck you know? man. Like I was trying to be on comedy central. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You know what? I mean, you told that story to me that changed my whole demeanor. like, and I'll admit, man, I go down that rabbit hole with, you know, watching TV and it gets me in the state. And then when I found out that you were part of that, Fuck, man, I was like, hold. And I just remember that shook me because I remember because I went to Morty's that night. Mm-hmm. And and you were like, yeah, I was part of that. I go, fuck, really? And then it just made me go, you know, sometimes there's shit you don't understand and there's shit that don't get reported. And it just really made me go, you know, it just changed my whole outlook on that. Yeah, and there's lots of stories out there like that. The problem is, you know, know. right now nobody's going to listen to them because Fuckers quit doing shit that's bad and, and taking over social media so we can tell yeah. some, some of the good stories. But right now, it's like, just hunker down, you know, and let's yeah. try to fix this problem. And, and both sides aren't helping, either one, Fox yeah. or CNN. Nobody fucking tells a goddamn, or stories like this. And that's the fucking, you know what's the great thing about this is, this entire story will be told. So people can see the entirety of it, and people who had, and I hope people who had animosity toward cops can go okay, and people who on the other side can go okay. I mean, I'm hoping I don't. I'm not acting like. I mean, I'm, that's all you can do because yeah. you know I get it. Like I, I man, I I love police work. I, I'm not ashamed of my career. I have a lot of friends that still do it, and I love them. And they're all they're men and women that you know really put it on the line every yeah. day. And I feel bad for them now because of the general opinion. Yes. But none of us, none of us can get pissed about it because motherfuckers are doing bad shit. Yeah. And it's 
making the good ones look bad. Going, yeah, it's just yeah. it's just that way. So until we get rid of that, and how do we get rid of that? Take action right now. It starts right now at the you know highest level. Yeah, it's just fucking put out this, put an end to it. I, I, God damn, man. I wish we could go long. I mean that from the bottom of my... God damn, that was fucking good, man. I mean that from the bottom of my... God damn, that was good. I needed to hear that, and I think some people need to hear it. And the thing, great thing about that is it was all sprinkled with a little comedy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is way... That's what comics do. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? We take that situation. That situation, fuck, bro. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. So thank you, bro. Man, thanks for coming dude, in, thanks dude. Thanks for having me, man. We got to do a part two. Fuck, man. That was fucking good, Yeah, bro. anytime. Yeah, so thank Hey, guys, listen. He's on the Guns Blazer podcast with my boy Sean Latham, who also was... I interviewed him. And also uh, the uh, 1041 podcast, which is about... Uh, it's uh, Right now, it's just about cops telling stories like I just told you. Okay. Like we had... Um, uh, one of the guys that survived the North Hollywood um, shootout back in the oh day. Oh my LA. god, I remember that one. Yeah, that's probably my favorite favorite interview I've done. And right now, uh, Martin Whitfield is his name. He lives in Indianapolis now. He was medically retired. He was from here and came back. So the, he's one of my favorite dudes. He's the one at the beginning. He was the um, the officer that got hit in the leg and was trapped. And the dispatcher's crying yes. and keeps saying, "He's like L eighty nine, L eighty nine." Like that guy tells his story. I just love to hear those stories, and I am about trying to get the good stories out there. Good, and then Martin, but Martin's a black officer, so also yeah. he can offer perspective on what's yes. going on right now. Yes, and I so I love to get both sides because he calls it for what it is as well. That you know and that's mean? what we need. And I'm so fucking glad you did. Yeah. I mean it from the bottom of my heart, bro. Thank you. I know we got to go. Why we got to know we can do? It's ain't Joe Rogan, so we got <laughs> we're a little bit of a time. Thank you, Todd. So ten forty one podcast, guns are blazing podcast. My butt, Todd. My, go to ToddMcComas.com, and I guarantee you, you'll read. <laughs> I read it. You'll read that beginning on his on his uh, website, and it's at first you go, oh my god, and then the punchline kicks in, and that's oh, like, the movie review of Holmes and Watson, motherfucker, <laughs> it's hilarious. So go to ToddMcComas.com. Todd McComas come uh, coming to a city near you. Please follow this guy. Thank you so much for this, Todd. Thank you guys for watching. Leave comments. If you like it, if you don't like it, I don't care. Thank you guys so much. And like I say about this time, you know the word. Dang.